0: We're in the Gospel of John, and if you're new here and visiting for the first time, we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and that's where we've, this is the book that we've chosen to do that in. We've been in this book for about five months now, and we've come now to John chapters 4 and 5. And as you notice in the bulletin, we're going to be looking at a large section of the narrative this morning. And the reason, it's narrative. And so narrative is a little easier to go through in chunks like this. So from time to time, like we did with the Samaritan woman, we'll do things like this and and take a bigger chunk because it kind of ties together uh, by looking at the, uh, the whole scene in one sitting. As you recall, the purpose for the book of John is found in verse 31 of John chapter 20, "...but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ." the Son of God, that you might believe. The, the, the word believe is used a hundred times in the book of John. That's his point. He wants you to believe, I to believe, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's an evangelistic book. It's used by many people when they want to reach their friends for Christ or, or share the gospel with someone. They'll take them through the book of John because John presents Jesus as God in human flesh. John presents Jesus as one that they should believe in and trust in. So it's uh, the message of the book that's used over and over again. It's the whole uh, purpose is that you might believe. There are basically seven miracles that make up the vertebrae or the, the backbone or, or whatever you want to call it, the structure of the book of John. Seven miracles. Jesus did a lot more miracles. Jesus did hundreds of miracles. Uh, if you took all the miracles that Jesus did, they wouldn't be able to contain them all in the books and uh, the volumes of books that are available, John says. He did, a lots, he did lots and lots of miracles, but John chooses seven of them to support what he's trying to get across, and that is that you might believe in him. Seven miracles. We saw the first one in chapter two. It was the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine. And now we come this morning to the second and third miracles that John of the seven, that John present in the Gospel of John. The healing of the nobleman's son, and in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, it will be the man who is healed at the pool of Bethsaida. You'll need a Bible to follow this because I'm going to be reading narrative to you this morning and commenting on narrative 1063 in the Pew Bible, I think, is right uh, for finding this passage uh, that we're going to be looking at. Um, But we are at a transition point. It's going to change today. It's going to change today in terms of transitioning now from Jesus uh, having Scenes where there's some confusion and questioning, and that leads to people actually believing Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, this guy, this nobleman uh, who's going to come uh, seeking his son's uh, healing. We see in those scenes in the first four chapters, people have questions, they're confused a little bit about who Jesus is and all, but they end up believing. When we come to chapter five, it's going to change. And we're going to see rejection begin. And it's a big change in the book of John. A big change. And uh, as we look at this, especially in chapter 5, in a few moments you'll, you'll see what I, uh, I, I'm, I'm saying. But uh, rejection becomes more the theme for chapter after chapter after chapter, specifically by the Jewish religious leaders. What you got going on in John is you got... The religion of divine accomplishment versus the religion of human achievement. Understand that. The religion of human achievement, outward works, doing things myself, trying to earn my way to God, trying to make myself good enough to be in God's presence. That's the religion of human achievement. That's what Judaism had become that's what most religions, folks, in the, all the religions in the world today are religions of human achievement, except Christianity, except biblical Christianity, which teaches that God came into the world and God did it. I simply embrace what God has done by faith. I do nothing to earn it. I do nothing to deserve it. I do nothing to work for it. I simply Trust and believe. When I stand before God one day, it will not be because I was a good person or I tried to do good works. None of that will impress God one bit. Only thing that will impress God is my faith and trust in Christ. And that's what you start to begin to see in the book of John the religion of divine accomplishment confronting the religion of human achievement. And the rejection comes on strong to that message. There are two things I want you to know as we look at these miracles. One is this. A lot of people view Jesus, and people still do today, view Jesus as a a traveling faith healer, a a traveling witch doctor type, somebody that could do amazing miracles, and that's how they would think of him. Uh, You have in the Word of Faith movement today people that think that way, that Jesus is about a miracle for you, all about miracles and Signs and Wonders, they view Jesus that way. That was huge. They don't emphasize what he taught at all. They just look to what he can do. If you'll turn to Mark 1, hold your hand in John just for a moment. I've got to watch my time here. But go to Mark chapter 1, verse 32. Because Jesus emphasized his truth-telling ministry over his miracle ministry. His truth-telling ministry, notice in Mark 1, 32, I believe this is right after the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, verse 32 of Mark chapter one, when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons and was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions went out looking for him and they found him and said to him, everybody is looking for you. Faith healers would love this. Faith healers today would not do this. But they would love the fact that everybody's looking for you. And they would not do, though, what Jesus does. Verse 38, he said to them, let us go somewhere else. (laughs) See that? Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. He always emphasized his preaching and teaching over The miracles, not that the miracles did not add to his credibility, they certainly did. They established his credentials that he was God in human flesh, listen to this man. But it's kind of like the fountain that puts forth the water, you pay attention to the water, but you never think about the fountain where it came from, you just pay attention to the, that's how it was. Also, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark 10.45, later he gives another reason he came. And this is the work of the cross ministry. He says in 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, notice, and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to die. He came to be a substitute. So it's not just about miracles. But see, a lot of people, they just make Jesus all about miracles. A miracle vending machine, that's how they viewed him. And thought of him, and that was the focus of many. And second the second way that people and people look at him that way today, and the second way, people had this view that he was meek and mild, he was your basically your modern day he was your postmodern. He was your postmodern who would never tell anybody their their religion was wrong. Would never tell anybody that their thinking about God was wrong. He would never confront anybody about how they viewed God and Christ and salvation or any of that. Some people think Jesus was like that. He's just a good guy, gentle, meek guy that would never do that. And you can get to heaven. It doesn't matter what way you want to get there. There are many ways to God. They think that Jesus would talk like that. He just loves everybody just the way they are, and he doesn't want anybody to change anything about themselves. Many think that way. But you forget Jesus threw out the money changers in John chapter 2. He confronts the Pharisees for their, their hypocrisy in Matthew chapter 23. He calls them children of snakes. That's what brood of vipers means. You're children of snakes. And I want you to know this, and you're going to see this in a moment, but in all the Gospels, Jesus initiates conflict over and over again. Every conflict he has, and you'll see it in the miracle today as well, every conflict Jesus has, it's because he initiates it. He initiates it to force the rejection that will come because he puts the issue in front of them. Notice in uh, Luke six, it's going to be about breaking the Sabbath. The Sabbath is at the core of of Judaism, Shabbat. It's it's what it it had so many rules associated with it. It was the most important thing day of the week in the on the, the on the Jewish weekly calendar, and yet it was the worst day of the week on the Jewish calendar because it had so many burdensome rules. Look in Luke 6 with me. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Luke 6, 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely. The the, uh, Sabbath police were watching closely. The Sabbath keeping police were watching closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew that they were, he knew, notice, he knows what they are thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come up forward. And he came forward. See see what Jesus is doing? He is setting up the confrontation. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. You see that? He's setting up the confrontations. He's going to do it in the miracle we're going to look at today in chapter 5 as well. The two things I just want you to understand as we move into these miracles. The way people viewed him, that's important in the first miracle especially. And the fact that Jesus sets up confrontation, that's important in the second miracle. Okay, turn to the passage. John 4.43. Going through a narrative here. Narrative about the miracle regarding the royal official's son, the nobleman's son. We're going to call this one a, a, a miracle that results in Grace a miracle that results in grace, saving grace, saving faith, okay? After two days, okay, remember, Jesus is in Samaria. He's coming out of Samaria. He's been on his way to Galilee. 4-3, chapter 4, verse 3, he was on his way to Galilee. He stops in Samaria. He shares the gospel with this Samaritan woman, the city is saved, savior of the world. He comes even to Samaritans. Can you imagine in the minds of the Jews, Jesus was Samaritans. But there he is with the, the, the Samaritans. He saves that city in Sychar, and now he's moving, continuing on to Galilee in the north. Judea is in the south, Samaria is in the middle, Galilee is in the north. And um, <clears throat> he had this, this two-day stopover at and, and the woman at the well. That's in verse 43, after two days he went forth from there into Galilee, 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Why does Jesus say that? Why exactly does Jesus make that statement? It could be, it could be because of the wonderful reception he has just received in Galilee. It's a little different now in, excuse me, in Samaria, it's a little different now in Galilee. Possibly. A prophet is without honor in his own country. He's from Galilee. Nazareth is in Galilee. You Remember the time he spoke in the the synagogue uh, in Nazareth. Uh, Oh, that's just just Joseph's son. Oh, that's just the local carpenter. How can this be the Messiah? Just no honor, that kind of language. Just familiarity uh, breeds contempt type of thinking. Very possible what's in the mind of Jesus. The enthusiasm was not the same in terms of of who he was. But I will say this. There was enthusiasm about the fact that the miracle worker has returned to the region. That enthusiasm was there. But in terms of Messiah, reading verses from Isaiah that identify him as the Messiah, he gets chased out of the synagogue for saying that. Got a lot of honor in Samaria, not a lot of honor in Galilee. But the Galileans were curious about his miracles. They were especially curious about the miracles he did down in Jerusalem. See that in verse 45? So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. You might recall in John chapter 2, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, in Judea, he cleaned out the temple. He did many miracles. And it says at the end of John chapter 2, you just flip over a page in your Bible to John chapter 2, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many of the Galileans, folks, would have been there. Many of these Galileans, were told in verse 45 of chapter 4, were in Jerusalem, and they saw the miracles that Jesus was performing. They saw the miracles. In verse 23 now of John chapter 2, in 2... John chapter 2, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, speaking of Jesus, during the feast, many believed in his name. Remember this scene? Observing all the signs he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting, same word, he was not believing in them. They just had a miracle faith. They had a superficial faith. We talked about this. It's possible to have that kind of faith. That is not a saving faith, and therefore, Jesus was not entrusting himself to them they had miracle faith show us another miracle we believe in your miracles no one ever questioned the authenticity of the miracles but their faith was not in christ their faith was in wanting another sign he knew it was in man verse 25 says of john 2 go back to john 4 john chapter 4 Verse 45, it says, Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, they themselves also went to the feast. So many of those had done what they were supposed to do and gone to the feast, and now they remember all the things that Jesus did there, and they start talking about that. They too had superficial faith. They too had enthusiasm, miracle enthusiasm. So they have curiosity. It's just curiosity, and it's nothing more. Curiosity. Not saving faith. That's a difference, believe me. You can have emotion, a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion. You can have a lot of good feelings about Christ. You can feel good about him. That doesn't mean it's saving faith. There is a distinction, understand that. Because these people were saying, oh, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you. They wanted supernatural power. Then this royal official comes. This royal official comes Um you see that in uh, verse uh, 46, and he too initially sees Jesus as the faith healer, okay? We're going to start out with that for this guy. He comes curious, out of curiosity. He comes because he's heard the faith healer is in the region. He comes from Capernaum. He comes 40 miles away. He comes uphill. This is a tiring journey. Where he's from, the north side of the Sea of Galilee, is 700 feet below sea level. He, so he comes up to Cana, where Jesus is at. Cana was a city where water had been turned to wine, you're told that. This is a royal official. He serves in Herod's court. Herod is one of the tetriarchs of the, the region of Galilee. Uh, Herod uh, Antipas, the Herod that was offended by John the Baptist for going after him because he married his brother or stole his brother's wife. John was in prison, may still be in prison at this time. I don't know. He's going to have his head cut off by Herod eventually. Herod was a vassal king. Herod served at the pleasure of the Roman Empire. Herod was a ruthless, uh, petty, tyrant type. Nobody liked him. Not even sure he was a Jew, ruling over Jewish people. He was a son of Herod the Great, one of the sons of Herod the Great. So this guy travels the 40 miles, verse uh, 47. His son is dying of a fever, by the way. We're told that in verse 52. He comes, uh, his son, he says, is sick at Capernaum. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him, begging him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he comes to Jesus, begging Jesus to come to Capernaum. He heard that Jesus was a miracle worker. He did not know anything else about Jesus. He's a miracle worker. I need a miracle. I'm desperate. What parent would not do this? What parent would not do this? Superficial faith, though, in terms of who Jesus is and saving faith. None of that's there. But at least, you know what? At least you're starting with this kind of faith. It's, it's bad if it ends here. Bad if it ends here. It's okay if it leads you to saving faith. If this initial faith develops and moves into saving faith, great. But if it stops here, serious problem. Look in verse 47. He says he was imploring him to come down. um, Driven by desperation. Sons at the point of death. Go to verse 48. You have to understand that the man thought this way to make any sense out of verse 48. Because Jesus says to the man, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. You see that? Why does he say that? Because of what I just told you. He sees Jesus as simply a miracle worker. Just like a lot of the people in the crowd. He's just a miracle worker. He's just a, a, a sign and wonder vending machine. That's all he is. Verse 48, so Jesus said to him, unless you, see pe- unless you people see signs and wonders and simply will, simply will not believe. Verse 49, the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He's not deterred. He's not offended. Come down to Capernaum. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. Go, your son lives. That's all he said. Jesus gives this instruction, this declaration, go, your son lives. And you see now in this verse, what I've been talking about, this initial faith, believing that this is a miracle worker, now becomes, moves towards saving faith. You know what it is? It's because of the word of Jesus. This man has no evidence that his son's alive, You're gonna live right now. He has no evidence. All he has is the word of of Jesus, that it's going to happen. The man believes what? Not the miracle he's seen. He hasn't seen a miracle. He believes the word of Jesus. The miracles of Christ will not save you, folks. It's the words of Christ that will save you. Believing in the words of Christ that will save you. Faith in the words of Christ will save you. You see, that's exactly what happens here. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and started off. I don't know how it worked out. All the details were not told, but in Nicodemus, we don't know. We didn't see in John chapter three when Jesus is telling him, "You must be born again." Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews, Nicodemus, who was at the height of Judaism, the height of this works righteousness religion, uh, Nicodemus eventually. His questions and all those things lead to saving faith. We know that by the end of the book of John. The Samaritan woman came looking for uh, water. She gets living water. We don't know all the details of how all that developed in her heart. But her, her skepticism about this man she meets at the well, and this Jewish man, by the way, she meets at the well and, and shares with him. And at some point, all of those questions turn to faith and believing. I believe his words. He knows all about me. She tells everybody in the city, and the city's reached this nobleman comes because he sees jesus as a faith healer that's that's the level of his faith but that faith matures into moves into a i believe his words i believe he can do this i believe what he says this i don't know the details i don't know how the blanks are all filled in there but at some point we see in this passage that this man moves to saving faith let me show you that verse 51 as he was go, now going down, the slaves met him, son, saying that his son was living. Going back to Capernaum, meets his slaves. Meets the slaves. They say, "Your son's doing well." Fifty-two. So he inquired of them the hour when he began. What 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 hour? What time exactly was it that he was healed? Then they said to him, "Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him." He calculated in his mind. He says in verse fifty-three, and he knew that that hour, one p.m., one p.m. on the Jewish clock. 7 p.m. on the Roman clock. Probably the Jewish clock is in mind here. 1 p.m., and this man says, that's the very hour that Jesus said my son would live. That's what verse 53 says. Notice what it goes on to say, and he, he himself, notice, believed in his whole household. Somehow in this encounter, Jesus filled in the blanks. This initial seed miracle faith, confused about who this man really was, left, the man leaves with true saving faith. This man now has true saving faith, him and his whole household. Only time I've seen this, other, this statement mentioned, maybe one other time, don't recall the reference, I know what happened with the Philippian jailer. They were singing in the, in the prison, you remember that, and at the end, the man repents, believes in Christ, and him and his whole household are saved. He came for healing. He left with eternal life. That's the point of that miracle. Jesus would not let him just come to a faith healer. You're not just going to come to a faith healer. No, he and his family found grace. Let me just say this to you. This does not happen with most of the miracles of Christ. It does not happen. Lots of miracles people don't believe. Next, next miracle, a good example of that. Think of the ten lepers. Ten are healed, only one comes back. Lots of scenes, lots of miracles. But it doesn't mean people believed in who Christ was. This man's different. Samaritan, Samaritan woman didn't even have a miracle. Nicodemus, there was no miracle. Except, well, I take it back. He had seen things in the city. He knew he, this man must be from God. This man found grace. This man believed and we're told him and his household were saved. Now the second sign, And this is the miracle that I told you leads to a rejection, tremendous contrast. You see down in verse 16 the whole purpose of the miracle. We're down in chapter 5 now. In chapter 5, look down to verse 16. You see the whole purpose of this miracle. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. That is the whole purpose of the miracle right there. Yes, it was showing and puts on display the compassion of God towards this man who is ill, possibly crippled. doesn't say that, but possibly a crippled man sitting near this pool of Bethsaida. But the whole purpose was to orchestrate the confrontation I told you about earlier regarding the Sabbath because that is at the center of false worship that Jesus is confronting with the religion of divine accomplishment. Notice in verse... um, One, Jesus leaves, (laughs) leaves Galilee, 120 miles, not quite that far. Goes down to Jerusalem. We're back in Jerusalem now. And in chapter 6, we're going to be back in Galilee. In chapter 7, back in Jerusalem. You follow me? This is short distances. Nobody could do this. And the chronology is sometimes, in John, his point is seven miracles. It doesn't matter when they occurred necessarily. But the point is, the point is, This is a man who is ill. This is a man who is uh, part of Judaism. This is a man who, by the religious leaders, is viewed as an outcast. This is a man who is viewed as one, if you're sick, it must be because you've done something wrong. If you are sick, it must be because you've sinned against God in some horrible way, and therefore he has inflicted you with this illness that you have. If you're a cripple, that's the reason you're a cripple. And so they would snub him. The religious leaders would snub him. He has been shown no mercy by anybody for 38 years. And along comes Jesus and shows mercy. Notice the scene. After the, after the thing, excuse me, let me just say this. Jesus knows it's the Sabbath. Jesus knows this man is in the pool, pool of Bethsaida or near the pool of Bethsaida, and Jesus knows it's the Sabbath day, Okay. He knows all three of those things. He sets this up. Notice in verse 1, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Comes to the pool of Bethsaida in verse 2, near the sheep gate. You can read all about the sheep gate in Nehemiah chapter 3. The sheep gate, that's where they'd bring the sheep into the city, at the north side of the city, for the purpose of sacrificing. It would be near the temple. That's why it was called the sheep gate. And so there's a pool there. There were many pools throughout the city of Jerusalem, places where people could bathe, people could uh, get refreshed in, uh, people could do cleansings in. They were covered by verandas. They had colonnades. This was a large one, five porticos uh, porticos or verandas. So this was a large one. Uh, Bethsaida means house of mercy. And there was a superstition superstition there that an angel would come and stir up the waters and that stirring up would put out healing properties to whoever would come in contact with the waters that were bubbling. And it's true that the waters could have a therapeutic effect on people. That would be an attraction. People go to springs for that very purpose even today. Uh, But for the ill, this was a place of healing. That was the superstition behind it. You will notice in your Bible, uh, if you uh, have a Bible as that's an accurate Bible, uh, chapter three and through four have these brackets around them right after the word withered. You see that in your Bible. See verse three, you see a bracket that occurs there, and then you see a bracket that goes all the way through verse four. You see that. That bracket indicates to you that that section was not in the original or the oldest manuscripts. It does appear in later manuscripts, but it was not in earlier manuscripts. The thinking is that a scribe added added 3b through verse 4 simply as an explanation for the superstition. So let me read it to you. It just basically says, in these, talking about in these porticos, in these porticos lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. And then the part I'm telling you we omit is waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, da da da, you can read that. That really does not belong there. We just pick it up after withered. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Verse 5, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Do you follow me? But that's how, you, that's, that's how they determine um, the text, the accurate text. So for a long time, everybody went along with verses 3b through 4 until they got older manuscripts and started revealing Hey, that's not in there. It may be a scribe's simple understanding of how the superstition got started. Go to verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 38 years, probably older. He's probably getting in his 20s. Could be in his 50s by now. Uh, but no mercy for 40 years, not able to get into the pool, as we will see in just a minute. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he was, had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Well, what in the world? What, what kind of question? Jesus, really? What kind of question? Ask the guy who's laying there and can't get into the pool. Do you wish to get well? Basically, look at it this way. It's better than saying, how's your day going, right? No, rather it gets right to the point of the issue. Have you given up all hope? Have you given up all hope? Think of it this way. Have you given up all, you've been here 38 years. Have you just, have you come to the end where you've given up all hope? Think of it more in that way. Jesus doesn't, I I ask dumb questions. Jesus does not ask dumb questions. Think of it in terms of the mercy being shown to the man. Have you given up hope? Do you, you, feel like, um, you feel like there's no glimmer left of hope? So he directs his attention to his immediate need. The sick man answers, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And, and he, he says, for the first time, somebody's talking to him for one thing. Jesus has shown pity on him. And like I said, he'd been shown an outcast. And obviously this man, from what he says, is bought into the superstition. It's not done him any good. He can't even get into the water. I came across this in a MacArthur commentary I thought was very interesting. You say, how do people believe stuff like this? He says, this is an ancient world. He said, there were all kinds of things. In one medical book, it said, if you want to prevent your hair from turning gray, anoint it with the blood of a black calf boiled in oil and with the fat of a rattlesnake. That's ancient thinking on how to cure problems and illnesses and hair colors and all that kind of stuff. Listen to this one. Some of, he says, some of you men need this. When your hair falls out, apply a mixture of six fats. Those of the horse, the hippo, the crocodile, that'd be a hard one to get a hold of. (laughs) The cat, the snake, and the ibex. Didn't look up ibex, but you need to find out if you're going to do it. To strengthen it, anoint it with the tooth, oh, to strengthen it, anoint it with the tooth of a donkey crushed in honey. That's what you do when your hair starts to fall out. If you live through the experience, putting all that in. They believed in magic water, lizard's blood, swine's teeth, putrid meat, stinking fat, moisture from pig's ears, goose grease, animal fat, etc., etc., etc. These were the remedies. So people believing in this, the therapeutic effect of water, or even the healing effect of water seems mild compared to some of the superstitions that people believe. And we believe in them too. Listen, we could... Books have been written on the superstitions that people have. You probably have some. You probably applied some to the game yesterday uh, as well. Some ritual you go through and all that kind of stuff. But listen, you know, this man cannot take advantage of the superstition that he has bought into. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, three things, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. This man does not know who Jesus is. This man is not a believer. This man has expressed no faith whatsoever verse 9 immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk instantaneous healing by the way complete and com- there's no therapy there's no progress of healing this is instantaneous if it is a healing of god it is instantaneous it's not about faith here folks never mentioned gets up and begins to walk here's the rub of the whole thing though it's the sabbath day you see that in verse 9 now it was the sabbath day you know jesus you could have picked any other day jesus you could have picked you could have picked any this guy wasn't terminally ill you could have healed him tomorrow what about sunday what about monday no sabbath day you follow me intentional confrontation Intentional confrontation. The Sabbath police are all around. This is Jerusalem at feast time. They're all around making sure everybody is keeping the 39 rules, excuse me, 39 categories of rules regarding work on the Sabbath, one of which was carrying your pallet. The pallet is the most important part of this. The guy had a pallet, and Jesus told him to pick it up and carry it. I could go into the abuses of the Sabbath as described in Deuteronomy chapter, in the law in Deuteronomy chapter four. I could go into all of these things on that. Basically, the work had to do with your normal work. The idea of not carrying something into the city had to do with commerce, which they were quoting from in in Jeremiah 16. All I'm just trying to tell you is they had come up with additional rules to the law of God. They had let the traditions of men replace the law of God. That was the confrontation. We'll talk more about this in coming weeks. But that was the confrontation. Religion of human achievement versus the religion of divine accomplishment. On display here. So that's the point of the whole miracle right there. It was the Sabbath day, which was central to, Jeru- to Judaism. They had made the Sabbath a day of burdens. They had made the Sabbath the, most, the worst day of the week, as I said earlier. So many restrictions, so much bondage, extra rules on people's backs, all of those things. Um, you can just put this note down, Mark chapter 2. Um, Jesus makes a statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. Um, I'm not going to read all that this morning. It's in Mark chapter 2, verse, uh, write that in your notes, 27 through 36, you can read more about that. But in verse 10, notice in John 4, the Jews were saying to the man, so the the Sabbath police come up to the man, and they say to him, who cured you? Uh, Saying to the man who was cured, "It, it is the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Verse 11, but he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. This guy is scared to death of the Sabbath police, believe me. He's scared to death. He's intimidated by them, so there's a little blame shifting going on here. Not my fault. Nobody's talking about this incredible miracle that's taken place. It's all about a pallet that's been picked up and carried. He answered, he who made me well, verse 11 was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? The man who said, I don't know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the big mass of people that were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. Afterwards, verse 14 says, Jesus saw him and told him, the man who had become well, verse 14, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Implication could be that this man's particular Illness was due to some sin. I do not believe that people get sick because of sin. Yes, we live in a fallen world. That sin gets me sick, no doubt about it, from time to time. I don't believe it's just a specific, specific sin causes a specific sickness. This could have been some kind of accident, something like that, that was sinful, that caused that. That could be a way to interpret that verse. Another way to interpret it would be you need to turn from your sin because hell is worse than anything you could face. It could be that could be the point is he tells the man do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you verse 15 the man went away told the jews no look at this the man went away and told the jews that it was jesus look at that you know that these guys are out to get him and you go and basically turn on him goes and tells the Jews, knowing full well they are against what has happened, and knowing full well they are Jesus' enemies. This man is not interested in worshiping Jesus for what he has done. This man is simply, or in following Jesus, he just simply turns on Jesus, joins his enemies, aids his enemies to help them build their case against Jesus. Verse 16 says, for this reason the Jews... We're persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Result is persecution. This is a miracle story, no doubt about it, but it's a sad one, right? It's a sad one. It does not end with a, the man who was healed accepting Christ or believing in Christ. He rejects Christ. No evidence this man ever repents and turns to Christ. The religious leaders who saw it were given an opportunity to repent as well. They saw it. They witnessed it. But they continue in their hard-hearted rejection. It's done for that purpose. It divides. Jesus is the rock that divides the water, and he does that unto all humanity. All humanity is divided by Jesus. You're either for him or against him. You either go with him or against him. This man receives the healing, hears that call, but walks away. He's held in the grips of false religion like so many people are today, held in the grips of works righteousness, held in the grips of false religion, believing and trusting in their own works to get them to heaven. Do you know Pope Francis several years ago said that even atheists can go to heaven if they do good works? Of course you believe that. He says a lot of crazy things like that. But think about that. That is the thinking of our world. Good works will get you there. Jesus is going to confront that over and over again, and things are going to get worse, folks. Things are going to get worse. Look in verse seventeen. My father is working until. my father. Ooh, God, your. Fa- Whoa, my father is working until now, and I myself am working for this reason. The Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath. Now another problem. He's calling himself. God, Wow. It's going to get intense, folks, as we go through the book of John. What are you trusting in this morning? Is it Christ alone, or are you trying to trust in the fact that you showed up for church today? What are you trusting in? Your good works? Are you trusting in trying to earn your way to heaven? Are you trusting in the finished work of the cross of Christ? He did it for you. Only Christianity teaches that. Only Christianity deals with your problem. He deals with the problem why your good works won't save you. He deals with your sin problem because good works can't take away sin. Only Christ can do that. Put your faith in him. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you now, God, as we come to introducing this new member. Thank you, Father, that people would come, want to come and be a part of this body and this fellowship. We praise you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.